Welcome to the Editing Lawyer Podcast. I'm Benjamin Scott Wright, an attorney in Wisconsin, and I'm talking to other lawyers and professionals about writing, editing, and publishing. This week, I'm talking to Keith Lee about his blog, Associates Mind, his book, The Marble and the Sculptor, and what he's planning to write next. What came up again and again is how important it is to have a platform as a writer. You need to build an audience. And when you write something, a book especially, you have to own it. No one else is going to promote it for you. Keep listening for how Keith built his own platform, his own audience, and how it's helping him plan for his next book. Keith, thank you for talking with me today. For anyone who doesn't know, who are you, what do you do, and what do you have to do with blogging and writing books? Uh, I am Keith Lee. I'm a lawyer and writer and uh, down in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I started blogging uh, eight years ago now. Wow, which sounds like a really long time. Actually, I think I'm entering I'm I'm entering my ninth year of uh, blogging um, at uh, associatesmind.com, which is uh, a sort of a um, professional development, personal development uh, weekly blog about how to kind of be a better lawyer. Um, I've done it for years. Uh, for a period of time, I wrote for Above the Law, which is like the big legal blog. Uh, tabloid. I wrote there for about three years, same sort of topics. Um, five years ago, I wrote a book for the ABA entitled uh, The Marble and the Sculptor from Law School to Law Practice, which is a book about transitioning from law school into being a practicing lawyer and sort of the attitudinal shift that happens uh, during that time. And then uh, most recently, I founded uh, LawyerSmack.com, which is uh, a, the leading private community for lawyers online. Um, we have hundreds of members, uh, mostly in the U.S., but around the globe, and exchange around 15,000 messages a week. And just people sort of support each other in either uh, uh, you know, a combination of a water cooler and dive bar. You know, people talk shop, but then also just talk uh, kids, you know, pets, politics, whatever is going on in the news, sports. But at the same time, you know, you can dive into a, a topical channel and go into the IP channel. And there's a bunch of patent lawyer nerds talking patent law stuff that I don't know anything about. So mm -hmm. I'd like to start off talking just a little bit about your blog, Associates Mind, then. Um, so why did sure. you start blogging and how did that, did it take a while to get? for that to get going and how did that kind of um develop your writing skills and, and lead ultimately I, I think it led ultimately to your book how did what's the story of how that happened sure yeah so uh i was in i was in my last year of law school when i started the blog and um this was you know it's very different now uh the the sort of the landscape of, of blogs you know blogs are you know, they, they, it's kind of almost dated at this point. Uh, I mean, if you look around, blogs have, have definitely sort of fallen away from the sort of cultural zeitgeist. But if you go back, you know, the mid 2000s, um, you know, blogs were this brand new thing that were amazing and citizen journalism and all this stuff was going on. And, um, and legal blogs in particular, and social media wasn't a thing. You know, that was another part of it. I mean, 
Facebook and Twitter were all just kind of just starting out and to be things. And so people were much more spread out and, and blogs existed in, as these sort of islands. And um, people, there, there were lots of legal blogs that, and, and lawyers were connecting in a, in a very sort of special and unique way that there were all these the separate blogs that people were talking about their practice areas or their practices around everywhere. And um, I, I was watching all that and it was very apparent that this was going to be a new way to uh, build a, and develop a reputation. You know, mm -hmm. it's a new way to kind of market yourself or make yourself known um, mm -hmm. in the same way that all you know, the past avenues that were traditionally available to lawyers, this, this was going to be a new one. And so I started looking around and um, trying to think about like, oh, well, what am I going, if I was going to have a legal blog, what would it be like? What would it be about this, that, and the other? And again, the thing was, I was graduating from law school. So it was like, my thought process was, there was no way I could start a substantive legal blog, right? I didn't have the experience. I was, I was yeah. not, you know, if I started trying to talk about something with some authority on some area of law, that would be, it would become quickly apparent that I was a novice in that respect. And so my, what I eventually decided upon was, all right, well, I'm just going to talk about, you know, what can I talk about with authenticity? And the one thing I could talk about with authenticity was the process of becoming a brand new lawyer. And like, mm -hmm. what did that mean for me? How do I want to be a new lawyer? What, you know, what do I need to do to, to be successful on this path? Like what, what, what does professional development look like? What does building reputation look like? What does you know, learning about the legal industry look like? What does technology look like? So I, I went into that and started writing. And I had uh, very, very, very low expectations, as, as should anyone who starts a blog from, from scratch without any type of, uh, you know, reputation or anything uh, behind them. You know, if, you're, if you don't have a name for yourself, um, most people start blogs. They exist in, uh, you know, anonymity and are out in the wild, people last six months and they don't really go anywhere. Not because I think I was doing anything particularly well, but mine took off, you know, I expected, you know, in the first two months I expected I would have, you know, like if I would be lucky to get 200 views um, on my, but I ended up getting like five or 6,000 in, in the first two months. And I was like, whoa, what's happening? And um, I think I was kind of in the right time and at the right place you know, talking about things, about being a new lawyer in a um, open way. I wasn't trying to pretend to be something I was not. I think that kind of, that hit at a, at a very certain time. I think my timing was really, really good. I think that was a lot of it. And then the other thing um, that I'll say, because I, I wasn't the only one doing this at the time, there were lots of other uh, I can think of dozens of people I kind of knew at that point in time who were just graduating from law school or had just graduated and they were all, we were all kind of doing the same sort of stuff. And um, the one thing that was different for me than from all those people um, was consistency. Like, I don't know if I was better at doing what I'm doing than all of them, but I just kept doing it. <laughs> right? I just never stopped. Yeah. And, there, and there's a lot to be said for just following through, continually mm -hmm. following through all the time, just continually delivering. So when you say consistency, do you mean you had like 
uh, a day each week when like a like a really close schedule you would follow for posts or do you mean just sort of in general you made sure there was you were keeping up something every week or every month or something like that or I mean like what do you mean when you when you say consistency how how consistent I guess do you think it sure. had to be sure um, out the outset it was very consistent and I think that's mm-hmm. pretty important if you're starting from scratch you know now now I might put up a blog post once or twice a month um, because, and again we live in a social media era. Like, you know, I'm on Twitter quite often, you know, there's a lot of what I used to take the time to blog about, you know, has definitely gotten snipped down to much shorter elements and is just on Twitter now. And I save the blog for really, you know, sort of lengthy, substantial stuff more often than not. But uh, starting out, yeah, I was, I was very adamant in having a weekly schedule, like once, once a week probably initially like twice a week eventually it ended up being around once a week was i had a very dedicated schedule but even with that you know there were times stuff would happen like when i studied for the bar or whatever Mm -hmm. you know i took a month or two off but then came back and 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 i guess by consistency i mean again I've, i've been doing this for eight plus years which is substantial for a blog most blogs don't last that long um, so when I when I talk about consistency and endurance, I mean, you know, people would be kind of consistent, you know, but they would give up after a year, two years, three years, you know. I just have never stopped. I mean, the amount, the number of bloggers who are still around from back when I started is is really a handful. Most people have have given up and moved on to other things. Yeah. Why do you think you've kept it up is there something about your blog or or you that has motivated you to keep it up have you ever thought about sort of letting it letting it go yeah there's times and i mean you know it goes back and forth i mean one it comes down to you know i am just a writer you know i mean that's that's the thing with being uh that a lot of people are like oh i want to start a blog and do this and whatever and i think it's good for my practice you know whether if it's a lawyer they're like oh i want to market my practice or if it's just anybody they're like oh i want to write stuff it's like well do you enjoy writing because that's what a blog (laughs) you know you better enjoy writing because here's the thing like the the award for six for having a successful blog is more blogging. It's like, again, it's yeah. like the a pie eating contest where first prize winner gets to eat more pie. You know, I mean, there's, if you don't enjoy writing at some point in time, it's going to break you. You're not going to be able to continue to push through or you're going to outsource it or you're going to want to hire a marketing person and them throw up, you know, oh, you know, looking for a DUI attorney in Wichita, you know, call me type of a thing. Um, but, you know, I just, I enjoy writing and um, I try to remain curious, which is the other thing. Like curiosity is a big drive, uh, I think, in writers, uh, particularly of the nonfiction bent is, uh, you know, you're interested about things and you're looking about, you know, you look at the world and you, you think about it. And, you know, I mean, writing is just thinking aloud and I find value in putting my thoughts uh, to paper because it helps me structure my thoughts. It helps me think about problems and issues in different ways. 
and um, and I enjoy the feedback. I I enjoy uh, having people you know read what I write and say say oh that really helped me or B uh, I have I have pushback on that and I think you know you said X but really I think it should be X plus Y and you know I think that type of feedback is valuable. So um, mm-hmm. I really I do it because you know. I, I just need to write, but then too, it's invaluable. I think in terms of a developing thoughts and ideas about how to work, how to look at the world, how to do things. You said blogs are a bit different now. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I mean, part of it is I I think you know I agree because like you said, it's not as much in the zeitgeist. You know, and you kind of look around and there just isn't as much excitement or exciting things happening it seems like on blogs but i'm wondering you know how much of that is just you know it's just not there's less hype now and it's become a normal thing and how much is you know maybe there's just some good steady work going on 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 blogs that lawyers are running you know what are your thoughts on starting a new blog now and i also wanted i I wanted to ask a little bit because you said you know you decided not to do a practice area focused blog or, or a substantive blog so I wanted to ask a little bit about that as well. And if you think doing a substantive blog can be something that can help you learn a practice area, even if you're not very good in it yet. Um, sure. So I think social media has sucked the air out of the room a lot of the way. Yeah. Um, I think for many lawyers and for everybody, and lawyers aren't unique this way. I mean, there, were, there used to be all types of blogs about this, that, and the other. And most of them have fallen by the wayside because people can just get on Facebook or Twitter and, and, you know, pop out, you know, 280 characters or whatever and share a few tweets or make a status update on Facebook. And there you go. A few people read it back and forth a little bit done. Um, And it's just, it's a lot, that's so much easier. Right. And people always grab, you know, water flows naturally Mm -hmm. to the lowest point. And this type of thing, it's just so easy for someone just to like, oh, I created an account on Twitter. Okay, I'm firing out a few things. Boom, I'm done. And uh, which is good. I'm I'm not knocking it. You know, um, I, I love Twitter. I think Twitter is great. It's a, a valuable tool. Um, Facebook, not so much. I think Facebook sucks. Uh, <laughs> it's an awful place, <laughs> and people should delete their Facebook accounts and not be there. You're not developing. There's so much to be said, just in the same way, like if all you ever read was newspaper articles or something, you know, versus like, oh, having the ability to sit down and read like three, 400 page you know, book on a topic, like obviously the knowledge and the depth of, and breadth of material you get from a newspaper article on a topic or a book on the topic, the book is going to, you know, maybe you can become familiar and know the highlights from the newspaper article, but you'll never know or understand a thing like you would if you read a book. And it's the same way if with writing. Yeah, you can make a couple pithy remarks and be clever or make a point and be kind of funny on Twitter or something, but you're never going to substantively develop your thoughts or, or build a structured understanding or argument on a topic via twitter i mean if if you really want depth there it's impossible to have depth there if you want depth you need a blog and that's important to building a reputation right yeah that's what you talked about Mm -hmm. so um i I think the the waning shrinking influence of blogs is definitely towards social media 
but but the positive of that is that if you can provide depth, if you can provide substantive knowledge, if you can provide uh, insight and long format and demonstrate the fact that you really understand a topic, that is increasingly rare. Like, <laughs> again, because everyone's flitted to social media and they bounce around, boop, 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 boop. And then you you show up and say like, hey, yes, I'm here on social media and I chit chat a little bit, but oh, here's my here are in-depth thoughts on X. And that's the thing is, you know, the, the internet is very, 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 very wide. There's so much coverage on so many topics. But in a lot of ways, the, the internet can also be very shallow. It, it can be difficult to find substantive, deep, compelling information on a lot of topics. And if you can provide yeah. that, well, then that's, that's an opportunity. Well, that's interesting. That's kind of different from often you hear this kind of stock advice when it comes to blogging that you should aim for short posts right like 500 think, words yeah. and and yeah. and that sort of thing so do you disagree with that you think there's a lot of value in doing longer in-depth even if they're less frequent sort of posts oh yeah i, I think the whole five oh 500 words i mean that's garbage if you're only doing 500 <laughs> yeah. words i mean just just make four just make a tweet thread. I mean, that's, that's like four or five tweets strung together. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. that, what's the point of that? I mean, if, can I consume whatever you're reading in, in, in literally 30 seconds? Well, then why am I bothering to read it? Why would anyone bother to read it? I mean, that suddenly, if, if all you've got is 500 words on the topic, and don't be wrong, there's certain times where you, you might want to make a, a, a point and quickly, and there it is, but, you know, you're, you're just the same 500 words as everybody else who's writing 500 words on the topic, you know? Uh, and I guess for me, I have, you know, eight years of analytics and data to see what works well and what does not work well for me. And I'm certainly in a different, and, and you know, and again, a lot of this is very goal oriented and actionable. So like, mm-hmm. what are you really looking to get out of your blog with this, that, and the other? You know, for me, I want people to, I wanted people to see Associates Mind as a resource, not as a place for commentary or what's in the news or whatever. I wanted people to go think, ah, I need to, I want to know about topic X. I know if I go to Associates Mind, it will be an in-depth resource about that topic. And I'll be able to go there and I'll be able to dig in deep and really learn something about a topic, not just get the highlights. And that's kind of, and I wasn't initially that way. You know, I I grew into that attitude. But the thing is, if you look at, you know, analytics for that type of stuff, I mean, that that wins, right? If people search, because again, if, you know, people find things, the prevailing methodology for people uh, finding information on the internet is still organic search. I mean, social media is certainly climbing. Organic search. People are really looking for something. They go to Google and they type in some words and they hit enter. Well, what does Google think is valuable? Does Google, you know, if you were going to, you know, try and find an article about like, I don't know, or, or best way family uh, Disney World Epcot. You know, like if you were looking to find the best way to to enjoy Epcot with your family and and get the most out of it, 
are you going to go and read some 500 word article? Or are you going to go read some 2,500 word guide that lays it all out to you, explains every single thing, you know, whatever it becomes very quickly apparent. I mean, Google and Google understands this. People want the long form in-depth guides. That's what mm -hmm. people are really actually interested in because that's providing real tangible value to the reader. And I guess kind of a thing to keep in mind with blogs, what is the value you are delivering to the reader? You know, yeah. if you wrote a, a 300 word blog post, how much value is there to the reader in, in that? You know, mm -hmm. potentially there could be value there, but, and, and certainly just because you write 3000 words doesn't mean that's, you know, more doesn't necessarily mean valuable. I mean, it could be a ton of fluff and puffery, which is useless. You know, the, the prevailing theme should be value delivery to the reader. And and for me, I've realized that's is most often achieved with taking the time to provide to go in depth on topic. So less frequent blogging, but more in depth blogging. So speaking of uh long and in depth content, obviously that you know, that must have prepared you to write your book, The Marble and the Sculptor. Uh, pretty well if that was your approach to the blog then how did the blog lead to the book specifically did, was that book something you had in mind that you wanted to write or did somebody contact you how did that happen sure so um, uh, an acquisition editor at the ABA publishing division uh, contacted me and they were like hey we had uh, done a poll of the ABA uh, young lawyers division asking them uh, where they get their news and information and to read about you know, the profession. And I think they were secretly hoping it was going to be like the ABA journal or something, mm -hmm. um, which it was not obviously, <laughs> um, it, you know, above the law was number one. I can't remember exactly where I was, but I, I was in the top five with, with my blog at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and they were like, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, of course I've thought about writing a book. What, what type of question is that? Um, <laughs> but uh, so we talked some, and, uh, you know, they actually had a couple of ideas for what they thought they wanted me to write about. And um, I told them they were incorrect and that I needed to write about being a new, you know, I was like, I need to write about exactly what my blog's about. I need to write about becoming a new lawyer and what the transition is like to go from law school to, to being a practicing attorney mm -hmm. right now. Because y'all have, y'all have books about being new lawyers, uh, you know, in your library, in your stock right now, but they were all written 30 years ago or whatever. It was like complete garbage information and has no bearing on anything at all what it's like to be a new lawyer right now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so, and that, and yeah, that's why they came to me. They came to me because of my blog and we talked it through, signed it all up. And uh, that, that was kind of where the, the genesis of, of my book deal definitely came from, from my blog. Yeah. So that's interesting. So they had some ideas about before you about things you could write and you just you just said no <laughs> no yeah I'm, I said this no is what I, I was like what I need to write if you're gonna have me write something yeah I just totally pushed back and I said no we're gonna do it this way um because the, that's what makes sense and is what and is what's interesting and what would be interesting to people who who know about me um and they were they were okay with it so okay so how how did you actually get started on writing the book then how did how did did you outline it? Did you work with your an editor at, at ABA 
to kind of develop the concept? How did you get started? Um, sure. Well, I, I definitely, you know, even though they approached me about just doing the book, uh, they still, I still went through the process of uh, developing a uh, nonfiction book proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, um, which, you know, a nonfiction book proposal is very different than a fiction proposal. And a you know, fiction proposal is essentially just a, a query letter saying, like, I wrote this, the book's done, here you go. Um, nonfiction book proposals are a bit more in depth. You know, they're, they're usually pretty lengthy, 10 to 15 pages. They talk about the author, they talk about the topic, they talk about, uh, you know, uh, competitive analysis in the market, other books on the topic. Uh, marketing platforms, uh, potential uh, other tie-ins, CLEs, et cetera. So I put all that together. And then you also have to provide a, a general outline of the book. So like, and it, you obviously don't follow it because you haven't written the book yet, but essentially mm-hmm. a table of contents. Like, okay, here's what we think the book will look like. Um, I put all that together and went back and forth with uh, my editor until we got it where we want it to be he took it to uh because they still even though he wanted me to write the book they still have to have they still have editor uh roundtable meetings so mm-hmm. all the acquiring editors along with the uh lead publisher all sit together i think maybe like once a month and say okay here's what we got i want to do this book and everyone talks about it and they still kind of have an approval process so that happened i got i got through that um, they said yes. They were very enthusiastic about it. So at that point in time, it was you know it was on me. It's just write the book. Okay. So, so you had a proposal, writing. an outline, mm-hmm. and then it was just you were kind of on your own typing it out for however long it took. Yep. That just went went right to it. I think it took me about six months, if I recall correctly. Uh, a nice bonus for me it was again that I had the blog. You know, a, a lot of what's in the book is stuff I had originally written about on associates mind i just fleshed it out even more you know i i there were obvious there were certain themes that are recurring on associates mind and it was like okay well those recurring themes need to be the large topical areas for the book you know it needs to be about what to do in law school and you know client client service and professional development and you know how how do you do these things and so i was able to kind of work from the seed that I had on associate's mind and then develop it and flesh it out more uh, into the book. I wanted to ask a little more about, so you did a a book proposal. Did you ever talk to anybody besides ABA publishing? Did you ever consider other options for publishing or self-publishing? Was that even anything that was entering your mind at that point? Um, I thought about self-publishing a little bit. And uh, (laughs) once at one point in time, I did consider other publishers. I mean, again, this was years ago, and I actually kind of got mm-hmm. into a, a fight with the ABA. They were like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to sell your book on the ABA web store. And I was like, what the hell is the ABA web store? <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh, it's where we sell our books and we sell through catalogs. And I was like, yo, there's this website called Amazon.com. People buy books there. <laughs> and we we got into like of this argument this fight and i was just like look my book either needs to come out on amazon day one or i'm not doing it i was like i'll walk you mm-hmm. know like you know 
I mean, became a, a real issue. And I'm like, y'all are in la la land. Like, what are you talking about? You want to sell? Like, no one buys books there. Most people don't even know what that it exists or what it even is. Like, like you want to target law students and young lawyers, and you're asking them to navigate the ABA's website, which is a disaster. It's a disaster now. Imagine five years ago. Yeah. Um, and go through everything and somehow figure out, I'm like, no, no, Amazon day one or I walk. And I was like, look, you came to me. I didn't come to you. You know, like we need to do this or I'm not doing it and I'll just take my book somewhere else because obviously there is an interest. That was the only time I thought about going to somebody else, but props to my uh, acquiring editor. He went to bat for me on the issue. He was like, look, we've, he was aware that existed. he was like look why aren't we doing this this is crazy and uh so we did it still you know it was like it had some of the best first day sales that i like any book they've ever done and i was like whoa weird amazing like people buy books on amazon how strange you know it, it was ridiculous so yeah that, that's really interesting to hear i think you know, I spent just, I mean, I mean, honestly, I just spent a few months at my state bars um, as an editor there. And it seemed like, you know, the attorneys we worked with there, and that's just a small state bar doing like, you know, sure. practice guides, that that kind of thing. But it seems right. like the attorneys we worked with, it, it was kind of a, you know, they just kind of did whatever, they just went along. Basically, we gave them a little bit of homework, and then they, you know, wrote, wrote back. And then uh, it was really the editors who were making the product um but so i think the you know the sense i had there was we were more in control of things and it sounds to me like the aba you know publishing and, and editors that you were working with were used to being more in control of things because it seems like it seems like attorneys often don't really care that much about the book you know what i mean that like the end book publishing mm -hmm product that's not their business or whatever and they, they just want to get the writing out there and, and let somebody else handle the making the book and selling it and and publishing it that sort of thing but what i'm hearing in your story is maybe especially i mean i guess in your situation you were approached by them to begin with and you knew you had something that people would want to read but you know i think just often attorneys are in a, a more of a position to determine what their book is, you know, what the content is, if they, if they want to have that input. Um, yeah, no. And, and, you know, the, and that's where, I mean, frankly, I think attorneys are ignorant of book publishing and lazy. They want to be knowledge matter experts and just be like, Oh, well, I'll just do the writing and someone else will handle all the sales and marketing of the book. No, that's stupid as shit to even begin to think that way. The book, like, the mass market book publishing doesn't work that way. You think academic publishing mm -hmm. works somehow better? That's, that's crazy. So that's, legal publishing isn't so much academic publishing, but it's a narrow, quasi-academic, professional niche business publishing. Like, no. Like, unless your name is like John Grisham, they're not marketing your book. They're not doing a damn thing. They'll put it, they'll slap a cut, they'll edit it, they'll slap a cover on it, and they'll sell it through, uh, you know, their niche bookstore or whatever, or niche website thing, but they're not marketing it. They're not doing anything actually to try and sell the book. That's why, that's why if you look at book proposals, particularly nonfiction book proposals that go into the mass market for business books, 
the number one thing that they care about if you want to get a mainstream book publishing deal is platform. And by platform, I mean, how can you individually as the author sell books, yeah. right? Because they're aware of the fact that they only put marketing budgets and dollars to sell books, maybe in the top 5% of books that they publish. Otherwise, they just don't bother. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you is, you know, if you're writing it, you got to own it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mm-hmm. mean, it, you, you completely need to own it 100%, you know, and, and that's where I think you end up talking to people. Then they're like, well, why do I even bother getting a publishing deal? Why don't I self-publish? Um, that's a very legit question. <laughs> and I think, I, I think increasingly, obviously, more and more people are just self-publishing. I mean, that's definitely the trend growing, going forwards. And, you know, for better or for worse, um, you know, I think obviously it's opened up, there, there's more books, more written words now than there's ever been, you know, ever. There's so much crazy information out there. But then also means there's less quality control. So, you yeah. know, there's more out there, but there's also more crap out there and you have to sift through to find, you know, the, the gems. So it's tough, but, you know, if the thing with, with self-publishing I think is, or, or, or even if you're not self-publishing, well, really with self-publishing or, or really any type of publishing, you know, a lot of people are like, ah, it's kind of, a lot of people, I think, very have a misconception and they have a mindset of, of a, uh, if I build it, they will come type of mindset. Yeah. Like, oh, all I have to do is this thing is, is do it. And then, and then readers will flock to me and everyone will know what, you know, that I, it's like, no. No, no, no. <laughs> you're yeah. you're putting the cart before the horse big time. You need an audience first. Then you need to have something to sell to them. It doesn't work in reverse. Right. That's, that sounds almost like, you know, the, the ABA, they, they came to you and they said, hey, we've built this great online web store on our website uh, that we'll put it on. And they just, it sounds like, you know, they kind of expect people who are part of the ADA to just come there. But... Uh, it right. doesn't really work that way. <laughs> nope. Nope. No one, no one does it. No one knows that it exists. I mean, even now I got a, a, a lawyer. I helped a lawyer smack member get a book deal and his book was published uh, through the ABA uh, earlier this year. And it's still a nightmare. I saw another, another member be like, Hey, I want to buy your book. Uh, where is it? And, you know, had a link to it. And, you know, uh, uh, 30 minutes later, he, the, the other member chimed back in. He was like, man, I got your book after the nightmare of the process of trying to buy your book through the ABA. <laughs> so man. like really as of this year, like it's still a complete hassle for people to go find a book, enter all information, get it all the, you know, there are all these obstacles in the way of actually mm-hmm. trying to buy books through the ABA versus like everyone already has an Amazon account. Like if I see a yeah. link to Amazon and I, I end up there on my webpage or my phone, it's like buy now with one click bought. Okay. It's delivered to your Kindle right now, or, or it'll be at your house in two days with prime, you know, <laughs> I mean, yep. th- there's so there's very, not zero, but very, yeah. very, very low barriers to purchasing when going through Amazon, purchasing through the ADA, lots of obstacles, lots of hurdles. And I, I just don't yeah. think it makes sense. 
do you think legal publishing exists in the same kind of little bubble that maybe other you know other parts of the profession seem to exist in this bubble that's a little you know we seem to have this uh believe that we're somehow different from the rest of the world and in certain ways do you think legal publishing suffers from the same sort of thing where uh well lawyers are different and and lawyers will you know sometimes i see books that are published uh for lawyers and, and written by lawyers and it seems like it just costs 50 dollars more just because it's buying for lawyers so, but i don't know do you think there's something there Sure, absolutely. And yeah, and don't get me wrong, on, on some level, that's to be expected, so, because a lot of books for lawyers are essentially technical books, right? Mm -hmm. If if I'm buying a book on, uh, you know, Roth IRA violations and tax compliance, like, that's a technical manual, and it should probably cost $200 or whatever, mm -hmm. um, because there's lots of in-depth knowledge there that you're not going to get anywhere else. But there are also lots of books, like my book, or sort of general interest legal books that yeah. are published for general lawyer audiences in the legal press. But yes, that are, are you know, if you were going to buy it as a mass market nonfiction book, it should be, you know, twenty four ninety five. But because it's a lawyer mass market book, it's, you know, forty nine ninety five. <laughs> they stick yeah. an extra... $25 on there for essentially no reason because they're like lawyers going to, you know, do this. Like I had to fight so much to make my book. The, I think my book is like 24. I think my book is 2495 and yeah. I had to fight so hard to make it that price. Like they were like, Oh, $50, you know? And it, I was just like, are you insane? <laughs> like this is a general interest book uh, about a sort of like personal slash professional development targeted to new lawyers. And you want to charge them fifty dollars for it? You're, you're literally crazy. It, it just doesn't make sense. And and yeah, that that affects the rest of the legal publishing world. I mean, I, and I think maybe because they're addicted to those high profit margins from their technical books. Yeah. Right? They're like, ah, we can do this. And and their and their sense of publishing is warped. Right? They're like, okay, we're gonna make this book, and we're gonna charge. $300 for this book and we're going to sell 300 copies. And they're cool with that. That's what they want to yep. do. Mm -hmm. And that's fine, but that model, you can't take that model and apply it to mass market books, you know, but they, they still like to this day don't seem to understand that. Yeah. So. Well, I want to, I want to ask you because I think you, you've kind of vaguely indicated you're thinking about writing another book. Um, mm -hmm. So what, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you want to talk about what you might write? And then I guess, you know, since we've been talking about uh, the legal publishing industry and how there are some difficulties with it, or maybe at least with the, with your experience with the ABA, have you thought about how you would go about publishing it? Would you still go with ABA or do self-publishing or uh, have you thought about that? Yeah, I'm definitely in the process of preparing to write another book. Um, mm -hmm. This is one of an even broader uh, sort of still legal focused, but not for lawyers, just kind of a very general, general interest book related to law. 
um, okay. that would be kind of targeted at a, a full mass market. Um, so in that light, I'm, cer- I'm certainly not going to be published with the ABA. It doesn't make sense because um, mm, it's, right. it's not a niche publication. You know, at this point in time, I probably have the platform to self-publish on my own. I know I have enough of an audience and following and relationships. Um, that being said, I am in the middle of going through the process of doing a full, you know, full-on book proposal again. Mm-hmm. And uh, my intent this time is to uh, shop it around a little bit to some of the mainstream nonfiction publishing houses. Right. Uh, and talk to them and be like, look, I have this idea for a book. And that's the thing, and that's the, thing with the the major publishers, you have to think, they roll the dice all the time on people, right? There's If you go into, if you look wow. at Amazon and you walk into a bookstore, there's all the types of books being published by people you've never heard of that are brand new authors. I'm in the position of, hey, I have a traditionally published book. I have, uh, you know, I have thousands of followers online. I have this longstanding, you know, website. I have this private community, you know, as well. Like I have an inbuilt audience uh, to anything that I do at this point, which most authors do not, especially brand new authors. They don't, they don't have. So, um, you know, I have, again, a quote unquote platform to uh, deliver a book upon that uh, has real value to uh, a book publishing company that they're like, okay, what if we take this person's platform and we, amplified a little bit and try and sell through it and, and push them. Maybe we can get a, you know, they can have a multiplicative effect uh, upon uh, book sales. So um, that's where I'm at right now uh, is, is book proposal development time. Um, I have a solid uh, idea for a book. I think it's very much in the wheelhouse. If you, if you follow, if people follow me on Twitter or whatever, I think mm-hmm. you probably have a safe <laughs> and just kind of look at what I, <laughs> I talk about a lot publicly. You could probably get a pretty good idea of what the book's going to be about. But uh, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. So book proposal time and then and then uh, approaching uh, some of the traditional uh, mass market publishers about the book. Yeah, I suppose having that platform would make it easier. I mean, that makes it easier to self-publish as well, right? I mean, if you sure. did go that route, you got a head start and an ability to market to at least some some audience although i guess your audience is probably more lawyers and not a general market at this point but um yeah you know it's, it's really weird i mean i i have i mean i have thousands of followers and a lot yeah. of them are lawyers but increasingly a lot of them are not lawyers i mean because I, I, I glance every mm-hmm. now and then you know i mean i get hundreds of new followers a month and um, I'll glance and a lot of, you know, half of them sure are lawyers, but half of them aren't, you know, at this point, it, it's just kind of grows and it's just people who are sort of interested in the law and the legal industry or, you know, funny things that happen in law, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, law, law is interesting. I mean, you turn on the news, you turn on, you know, TV shows. I mean, the legal industry is interesting. It, it's, it's a constant source of uh drama and comedy right yeah, i mean it's, yeah. it's the human experience writ large and you know and recorded um so i think a lot of people are just very 
who are end up interested in, in me and the stuff I write and talk about are at this point in time, you know, just sort of anyone who's interested in that sort of thing. And, and it's increasingly a, a non-lawyer audience as well, which, which again leads me to kind of where I'm thinking about going with my next book. Yeah. Are you using an agent or anybody who, to help you work with those um, traditional publishers and try to get a, a book deal? Yes. Once I, um, I get the proposal all done. Um, I didn't use an agent last time, but I have a, a couple of friends who are agents and um, oh. I'm going to take it to them and be like, Hey, what do you think? Do you want to, you know, would this be something you're interested in? Should I just go do it myself? Or do you have somebody in mind? Because yeah, I mean, having an agent is definitely, particularly if you want to approach the traditional uh, publishers, an agent is probably still just your best bet. You don't want to go and negotiate that yourself. Yeah. And then, and then two, the agents are able to kind of cut through a lot of the crap. I mean, instead of coming through like the slush pile of everything, an agent will have the relationships with those publishers and be like, Hey, we've got something that's solid. You should look at it and consider it. And then, you know, the, the, your likelihood of having the book, uh, picked up and uh, really being considered as much exponentially higher with an agent than without. Yeah. So you've got one book under your belt uh, published mm -hmm. already, and now you're looking at another one. So what lessons did you learn from writing The Marble and the Sculptor that you think you'll, you'll take into this next one? And is there anything you'll do differently? Hmm. Um. I mean, maybe not. Maybe you just, you know, uh, you, you wrote the first yeah. one and great and we're just going to do the same thing again. But um, I was just curious yeah. if there was any part of your experience in that writing that first book that's now going back to do it again. another time. You're, you're telling yourself, OK, I'm going to make sure to do this. Or I'm going to do this differently. Sure. You know, the writing is essentially, the, I think, the same. I mean, it's, it's just the discipline, mm -hmm. right? You, you get right. up, you pick the same time every day. Even if you don't feel like doing it, you, you do the writing, you write, you devote that time to writing, you get it done, you spend however much time you need to do on it, and you just keep doing it every single day until the book's done. Um, and there's nothing sexy or any shortcut about that. It's just you do the work. So there's that. Um, I'll have a much more careful eye and... I'm definitely going to take a, a bit more time and expand uh, my sort of uh, like beta readers and feedback. Like this time I'm going to mm -hmm. want to solicit more feedback from people initially. The first time I did a couple of people and it was all right. And then I went, it was like, I was really in a hurry just to do it. Yeah. Um, this time I, I'm not in a hurry right now. You know, it, it, it's kind of just as it, as it comes. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to want to get more feedback from, from people you know, that I know and trust and rely on and, and, you know, see what they think, because I think that feedback produces a, a better end product. Um, so I think that will be an extra step in the process for me this time. And then two, um, I will also make sure, man, last time I had a team of editors through the AB and everything, still way too many mistakes <laughs> made it in right. having, having a, you know, acquiring editor, a theme editor, having a line editor, having a copy, you know, had all those editors, still a ton of errors. Um, 
like need to make sure that editing is uh, is something I need to pay more attention to and make sure it's a lot tighter. Yeah. Um, because it, you know errors suck. You know you don't want to. You look back and you're like, oh god, stupid. You know, like <laughs> yeah, why they? <laughs> so uh, that's that's really irritating. Um, and then uh, uh, marketing the book, I was pretty happy with the way it went last time. But I mean, I've I've learned a lot um, in, the, in the in the subsequent five years, and um, and then certainly just you know. Five years ago, I mean, I had a little bit of a platform five years ago, but not really that much. Versus to where I am now, it's much, much different. And um, I'll I'll be able to be a lot smarter with marketing the book. And again, just anyone who's ever considering being an author, like your job is not only to write the book; it is 100% up to you to sell the book. I mean, maybe you don't care about selling the book. Maybe you just want to write and get done and write. But um, if you care about having an audience, if you care about people, you care about wanting to reach people with the book and have people read the book, well, then you have to take that. That is 100 percent your responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, and you've got to be smart about how to market the book and you need a plan. I mean, you just got to have a plan. You can't just hope to throw it out there and it sells. I mean, that's not how it works. Um, you need to plan to market and sell your book well that's i think that's some great advice do you have any you said you're not in a hurry right now do you have any plan for when you would like to have this next book written and published um i mean i'm i'm hopefully next year i mean i'm working on a proposal mm -hmm. i want to have the proposal done in the next month or two and and have it ready to be sent out to have my buddies kind of look at it and then have it kind of going out to a potential agents or publishers, but, you know, by the end of this year, everything done, you know, and start maybe writing and or uh, getting done. I mean, maybe by the end, of, maybe by the end of 2019, maybe beginning of 2020, um, because I mean, a quick turnaround. I mean, a quick turnaround for a book from signing the book deal to writing, editing, packaging, cover design, marketing, mm -hmm. all that. I mean, about as quick as you can do that is probably nine months. You know, and that's a fast turnaround. You know, if if you want to go the traditional route, I mean, you probably need to budget like a year in your mind. At least that's been my experience. Well, uh, I mean, thanks for talking about all of this before yeah. we before we end. Do you have any more advice? Uh, I think you just gave some great advice about owning the book and marketing. But do you have any other advice for lawyers who might be interested in interested in, in writing their own books? Uh, I mean, definitely you need I mean, you need to be plugged into a, a network of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, you need to be, whether it's social media, um, probably it's social media realistically at this point in time if you want broader appeal for what you're doing. But you, whether it be for book writing or you know, book development, for talking about people with things to, to marketing, uh, if you don't have a network, I mean, it, it's, it seems self-evident to, to even have to talk about, but it's an issue. I think lawyers, all, all authors have a sort of a blind spot on this, but lawyers seem to have an even larger blind spot, maybe because they're 
<laughs> lawyers have huge egos and they're very like, Oh, of course if I do a book, that'd be great. You know, um, that like, if you don't have a network to tie into, then, I mean, your book's just going to fall flat. There's, there's no way around it. I mean, the idea that you're going to write one book that's just so amazing that it's just going to sell itself and it's just incredible and people can't stop. I mean, that's not one in a hundred. That's not one in a thousand. That's not one in a million. You're talking like one in 10 million. I mean, you're, you'd have a better chance of winning the lottery than writing that, that book. Um, so before you, maybe not before, but simultaneously as you're doing it, like you've got to, have uh it's just i mean and lawyers should know this from having a law practice like your reputation is everything like how where do you get referrals you know your best referrals from come from other lawyers people that you know that's why lawyers join bar associations that's why they you know interact in their their larger you know community because that's where work and recognition and reputation comes from and if you want to be an author you've got to start doing that like well before your book ever comes out you know you, yeah. you need to get online you need to to go out to your local community you need to get on twitter uh god forbid facebook i don't know <laughs> um right and maybe that's where that block comes in right i mean that's that's how you yeah. started your network and yeah. audience right you really build up an audience with that blog and that's that can be that you know that's i mean like you've already said that's your most important asset at this point yeah, yeah. If you don't have the blog, I mean, how are people supposed to find you? Where they, you know, where to do it? Um, you know, got to have that blog. Got to have the social media. Um, you know, again, the like I said, I, I mean, I got, I got someone in the field this year. You know, who's who's in my private community, and you know, part of, and certainly when his book came out, he reached out to the rest of the community and said, Hey, you know, this book happened. And everyone was like, yay, this is great. And, you know, he was able to talk about it with people and he, he interviewed people for the book, you know, Oh, you know, how have you done this with your practice or what does this look like for you? You know, he had, the network was a resource to him. And if you don't have that as a new author, whether you're a lawyer or any or whatever, then you're doing yourself a disservice. And again, again, you're putting the cart before the horse, right? You, you got to have a network. You got to have an audience. You got to have a platform. Those things are necessary first. Or they're not necessary first, but if, if you want traction for a book, those things are necessary. Yeah. I, I should ask, uh, do you want to, who, who is that person and what's the book that you, that you helped with? Sure. Um, that was, I mean, it was Jeremy Richter. I know exactly who it was, but I'm trying to remember um, exactly the title of his book. It is Building a Better Law Practice, and it's kind of a uh, devotional style, but 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 for uh, business development or you know, uh, yeah, professional development as a lawyer. You know, it's a just like you would have a daily devotional that you read a little bit every morning, you know, for a month to kind of think about stuff. Same way, he, he, it's a kind of a five minute a day read you do for a month to try and help you develop into having a better law practice. So. Yeah, well, that sounds great. We'll make sure to check that out and I'll make sure there's a link to that um, in the show notes. Um, well, again, thanks for talking with me. I 
we haven't gotten to talk to half the things I wanted to talk about, but uh, <laughs> you, you said some great, great things. And I really appreciate hearing about your experience with publishing so far and thoughts on what you'll do next. And we're definitely going to look forward to seeing uh, that next book coming out from you. Do you want to um, uh, tell people where they can find you? I guess we've, we've already talked about um, Associates Mind, but where else? Sure. Um, associatesmind.com is uh, my original blog. Um, you can find me on Twitter uh, at associatesmind, or if you search Keith Lee, uh, I'm I have a blue check mark, so it's like officially me. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, lawyer smack, S M A C K, uh, lawyersmack.com, which is again the private uh, online community for lawyers that I built that I, that I spent a lot of time in and on right now as a project. So um, either Associates Mind, Lawyer Smack, or on Twitter, those are probably the, the quickest ways to find me online at this point. Great. Well, we'll do that. Thank you again for talking. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Editing Lawyer podcast. If you're a lawyer interested in writing, editing, or publishing, check out my blog at editinglawyer.com or follow me on Twitter at Benjamin S. Wright.